RTHK News. It's 11 o'clock. I'm Sean Kennedy. Tonight's headlines. All eyes are on the draft national security legislation at the MPC Standing Committee underway in Beijing. Civil servants are again reminded not to oppose the security law. And two Canadians are charged with spying in China. The top United Nations human rights official says any new national security laws in Hong Kong must fully comply with China's human rights obligations and international treaties protecting civil and political freedoms. The remarks come as a three-day meeting of the National People's Congress Standing Committee, which drafts the legislation, draws to a close in Beijing tomorrow. Here's Altus Wong. The UN High Commissioner for Human Rights, Michelle Bachelet, said any law or national security should be clear in scope and definition and only permit restrictions to human rights that are strictly necessary and proportionate and that there should be meaningful legislative and judicial oversight of the implementation of such legislation. She said her office remains engaged with China on this matter and will continue to monitor the situation closely. Xinhua News Agency has reported that the draft legislation specifies the definition of four crimes and sets out punishments. They are separate as activities, state subversion, terrorist activity and collusion with foreign forces. Some Hong Kong delegates expect details of the draft will be unveiled at the closing of the meeting, but there's no word yet if it will be put to a vote. The Bar Association has voiced more concerns about the national security law. Candace Wong with that story. In a letter to Carrie Lam, the Bar Association urged the chief executive to make public the content of the legislation well before it's promulgated into law. Chairman Philip Dykes says sufficient time needs to be given to the general public and legal profession so they understand the law before it comes into effect. He says it's essential for lawyers to have sufficient time to study any new laws and people need to know what conduct is forbidden. Otherwise, Mr Dykes says that would lead to misunderstandings and confusion. The Bar Association also expressed concern that Beijing could exercise jurisdiction over certain national security cases here in future. It comes after the deputy director of the Hong Kong and Macau Affairs Office, Deng Zhonghua, said the central government would have the authority over some serious cases, although he believes they are extremely rare. In a statement, the association says that raises the question whether individuals will be tried in Hong Kong courts or sent to the mainland for trial and imprisonment. The bar also says it would be unconstitutional for national security branches being set up in Hong Kong to be able to supervise local law enforcement officers. Civil Service Secretary Patrick Nip has written to government staff warning them not to take part in a so-called referendum this weekend on a general strike over the national security law. Vicky Wong reports. In his letter, Mr Nip tells civil servants they're the backbone of the government and are therefore expected to support and cooperate with the administration in fulfilling its responsibility to maintain national security. He says civil servant unions that are openly encouraging people to take part in a referendum could lead people outside Hong Kong into thinking that they represent the majority of civil servants. Mr Nip says this would be extremely unfair to those who have performed their duties with loyalty and dedication and this would also seriously damage the reputation of the civil service. He reminds civil servants that the basic law states they must be dedicated to their duties and that the civil service code says they must serve the chief executive and the government with total loyalty, no matter what their own political beliefs are. Relations between China and Canada have taken another turn for the worse after two Canadians being held on the mainland since late 2018 were charged with spying. Vicky Wong again. 
Former diplomat Michael Kovrig and businessman Michael Spavor have each been in detention for a year and a half now. Chinese prosecutors say Mr. Kovrig has been charged in Beijing on suspicion of spying for state secrets and intelligence, while Mr. Spavor has been charged in the city of Dandong with spying for a foreign entity and illegally providing state secrets. Dandong is near the North Korean border. The pair were taken into custody shortly after the arrest of Huawei executive Meng Wanzhou by Canada in December 2018 at the request of the American government for the alleged violations of U.S. sanctions against Iran. Earlier this month, the Canadian judge ruled that the U.S. extradition case against Ms. Meng could proceed. The cases involving the Canadian pair are widely seen as retaliation by China and have dealt a big blow to ties between Beijing and Ottawa. You're tuned to RTHK. The time is coming up to five minutes past 11. The chairman of the Association of the Heads of Secondary Schools says he doesn't think schools need to call in police to deal with students who violate the new national anthem law. The law bans disrespecting the anthem and the Education Bureau says it should be played at ceremonies marking special occasions such as the July 1st handover and National Day. Teddy Tang says most schools already do this. He says schools will teach, will teach students about the new law and the anthem and they're more than capable of dealing with violators. I think most students in Hong Kong schools, they are cooperative and willing to follow school instructions. In the past 12 months, the teaching profession has gained lots of experience and mastered the necessary skills in handling various types of crises and dealing with students with different special needs. So I'm confident principals and teachers are able to handle all sorts of challenges and I don't think calling police is an option. Hong Kong has reported three more imported COVID-19 cases, all of them returnees from India. The Centre of Health Protection says the latest patients include a nine-year-old boy and a 12-year-old girl who were in India for months. They tested positive for the new coronavirus after arriving at Hong Kong yesterday. Only the boy has shown symptoms like fever and runny nose. The latest cases take the city's total infections number to 1,127. The executive director of the Tourism Board, Dane Cheng, says he doesn't think the industry will see a recovery for at least another year. Still, he's urging the sector to gear up for a return of tourists as fears over the COVID-19 pandemic subside. Maggie Ho reports. In an interview with RTHK, Mr Cheng said the number of long-haul visitors will probably remain at half the usual peak travel season level, and the market will only begin to recover in the second half of next year at the earliest. He said in the meantime, the travel industry should warm up by promoting local tourism for Hong Kong people to visit the city's attractions and to show the rest of the world the SAR's success in stopping coronavirus spreading. The government earlier announced plans to subsidize local green tours, with agencies set to receive $200 in cash for every Hong Konger who joins one. Mr. Chang said he expects the administration to roll out more measures to boost local tourism in the coming weeks such as giving people vouchers for local tours based on their spending on retail goods or food. New government data shows bankruptcy filings have hit a 17-year high amid the ongoing recession. The official receiver's office had 2,079 petitions last month, the highest figure since May 2003. While economists say the rise is due to the pandemic and months of social unrest, officials note that the much higher than usual figure could be partly caused by the judiciary's special work arrangements earlier this year, which was due to the outbreak. The total number of bankruptcy filings in the first five months was 3,605. That's 12.4% higher than the same period a year ago.
The government's looking at ways to tighten regulations on the use of electric mobility devices over fears their growing popularity is posing a road safety risk. Transport officials say they think people should only be allowed to use them on cycle tracks and not roads or footpaths. Jimmy Choi reports. People are already banned from using electric scooters, segways, electric bicycles and other such devices on the city's roads. But the government says with more and more people taking to them to move around, more rules need to be drawn up. After a three-year study looking at overseas practice, officials say the regulations should be less stringent than those for motor vehicles, but more stringent than those for bicycles. They told Lechko's transport panel that they think electric mobility devices should not be allowed on footpaths for the sake of pedestrian safety. But it will be all right for people to ride them along bike lanes, apart from electric wheelchairs, which they say will be better suited to footpaths. Roads are not a good idea for any electric mobility device, though, because there can often be heavy traffic and much bigger vehicles are king. Officials say they're going to carry out some trials on cycle tracks at the Science Park and in Changpano next year before putting the proposed law changes to Lechko. IT sector lawmaker Charles Mock accused the government of being inflexible when it comes to rules governing electric mobility devices. They're still going to use sort of a one-size-fits-all sort of uh, mentality in dealing with the issue. They are saying that, you know, you can cannot use it on pedestrian uh, pathways. Uh, you will be able to use it probably on uh, the uh, bicycle lanes and not on the roads and so on. But not all the, for example, not all the public streets and roads are the same. There are rural roads that actually are very ideal for very little traffic and very ideal for using these devices. But uh, somehow the government seems to always respond to us saying that, well, Hong Kong roads are very congested and uh, a lot of traffic and so on. But not all the roads. Overseas, Australia's Prime Minister Scott Morrison says a sophisticated state-based actor has been attempting to hack a wide range of organisations for months and had recently stepped up its efforts. Speaking at a media briefing in Canberra, he said the attack targeted all levels of government, political organisations, essential service providers and operators of other critical infrastructure. We know it is a sophisticated state-based cyber actor because of the scale and nature of the targeting and the tradecraft used. Health authorities in Italy have reported that the wastewater of three northern cities had traces of the new coronavirus long before the country's first case was detected in mid-February. The BBC's Mark Lowen reports. Italy was where the coronavirus outbreak erupted in Europe in late February, with the first recorded case in the northern region of Lombardy. But it was long thought that the virus had been circulating here earlier. Now that suspicion has been stood up by Italy's National Health Institute, whose researchers found traces of Milan and Turin in December and in Bologna a month later. This study could help identify the source of the infection and shows the importance of wastewater to tracking the path of the virus. There's been a further easing of coronavirus restrictions in Singapore, with almost all businesses now resuming operations, including restaurants for dining in. Social activities are also allowed, as the BBC's Karishma Vizwani reports. Singapore is slowly emerging from a two-month lockdown and Friday marks the second step of that process. Phase one saw some businesses reopen and students return to school. But now Singaporeans can dine in at restaurants and almost all shops, including nail salons and spas, are open. But it's certainly not business as usual and caution is key. Singaporeans can only meet in groups of five and cinemas, nightclubs and concerts are still off limits. Nora works 
workplaces returning to normal just yet. The government is encouraging all staff to continue working from home where possible. Veteran British actor Ian Holm, who's best remembered for his roles in movies such as Chariots of Fire and The Lord of the Rings, has died. He was 88. Holmes' agent says he died peacefully in hospital today. He'd been suffering from Parkinson's disease. Holmes was also a top star on stage as an established figure in the Royal Shakespeare Company. Sports now, Real Madrid have cut the gap on leaders Barcelona back to two points in the race for the Spanish league title. Real got past Valencia 3-0 with all the goals coming in the second half. The match was played behind closed doors at Real Madrid's training ground. Barcelona take on Sevilla tonight. Elsewhere, the teenage winger Boya Sainz scored his first La Liga goal as Alaves claimed a 2-0 win over Real Sociedad. Alaves cl- moved 10 points clear of the bottom three. Sociedad missed the chance to climb back into the top four. The president of the International Paralympic Committee says they're urging the organisers of the US Open to reconsider their decision to exclude wheelchair events from this year's championships. Andrew Parsons says they appreciate that the COVID-19 pandemic has thrown up multiple challenges for sports event organisers all over the world, but such challenges should not be used as an excuse to discriminate against a group of players and take away inclusive competition for all. The International Tennis Federation responded in a letter saying it understands and shares the disappointment felt by many and will try to resolve the matter. The world's top wheelchair player, Dylan Alcott, gave his reaction to ABC News in Australia. You know, I've been trying to break down glass ceilings my whole life to make a better world for other people like me, especially young people. What about a young kid with a disability when they go to their parent, hey, I loved watching Rafa, but why isn't Dylan Alcott or one of the other players playing? Oh, it's because they didn't want to put wheelchairs. Or why? Oh, because, you know, whatever reason. They're not financial, reliable. And, and I, you know, this year I played... My Australian Open final had a million TV viewers, peaked at a million people in Australia. It was 10,000 people bought tickets to come watch. So you can't tell me people don't want to watch. And now I'm sad. It makes me sad. And a reminder of our top stories tonight. All eyes are on the draft national security legislation at the NPC Standing Committee underway meeting underway in Beijing. Civil servants are again reminded not to oppose the security law. And two Canadians are charged with spying in China. The news from RTHK. RTHK Radio 3. It's time now to look at stories covered in this evening's News Wrap programme. The government's looking at ways to tighten regulations on the use of electric mobility devices over fears their growing popularity is posing a road safety risk. Transport officials say they think people should only be allowed to use them on cycle tracks and not roads or footpaths. Officials say they're going to carry out trials on cycle tracks at the Science Park and in Chengkwano next year before putting proposed law changes to LegCo. IT sector lawmaker Charles Mock told Jim Gould that the government had acted too slowly. Well, first of all, it's long overdue. Uh, it must have been more than four or five years since we first brought this to the attention of the government and more than three years ago. Uh, a city very similar to us, uh, Singapore, has already uh, implemented their ways of regulating these uh, electric uh, mobility devices, e-scooters and electrical bicycles. I think the biggest problem with the current proposal from the government is that they're still going to use sort of a one-size-fits-all sort of uh, mentality in dealing with the issue. Uh, they are saying that, you know, you can, you can 
and use it on pedestrian uh, pathways. Uh, you will be able to use it probably on uh, the uh, bicycle lanes and not on the roads and so on. But not all the, for example, not all the public streets and roads are the same. There are rural roads that actually are very ideal for very little traffic and very ideal for using these uh, uh, devices, especially uh, electric uh, bicycles. But uh, somehow the government seems to always respond to us saying that, well, Hong Kong roads are very congested and a lot of traffic and so on. But not all the roads. Uh, but they fail to, I mean, even some of the legislators were pointing to them out the issue, the, the, the reality that what about even outlying islands where there are no cars? Uh, they they seem, simply seem to be taking, you know, a very simplistic view of it. it. And this is actually not the way that some many of these other cities or countries are using the, the, the sort of uh, where to draw the line uh, in terms of their regulation. So I'm a bit worried that if they have this mentality, we're, not still, we're still not going to be able to maximize the use of these devices for helping people with the last mile, you know, after they drop off their cars or after they uh, get off from uh, public transport, the last miles of uh, going home, uh, making it more enjoyable, easy, and encouraging more people to ride their own bike and even including electric bikes that will make it life easier for a lot of people. But so, some of these uh, machines like electric scooters and so on, they, I mean, they can go pretty fast. Their use yeah. seems to be increasing. I mean, I mean, how much of a danger do you think they pose to pedestrians on footpaths? Well, First of all, uh, there would be dangers. Uh, there are actually a number of accidents in Hong Kong in the last year because they are, but I think the reason is because they are unregulated. Uh, in other cities, uh, in, in fact, uh, Singapore, for example, they have regulation on different kinds of pathways, uh, pedestrian pathways, different kinds of, of or pavement, or different kinds of uh, 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 roads or bike lanes uh, in different parts of the cities with different uh, 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 speed limits. And this can actually be even assisted with technology in terms of control and monitoring. Uh, but uh, unfortunately, our government seems to be not even talking about speed limits. In fact, uh, even when we drive our cars, we have different limits on different roads. Uh, so it can be implemented, but somehow the government seems to be you know, trying to make sure that they don't have to do a lot of different monitoring and make things very simple and easy, cut and dry. You can use it on this kind of road, but not on that kind of road. And they didn't even seem to have a good idea about how to implement and monitor speed limits or even other safety requirements, like do you need to wear a helmet at what kind of a situation? So I think they still have a lot of thinking to do, and I'm I'm I'm, I'm amazed that it took them three years for a consulting study to come up with this little. Also, I mean, there aren't so many proper bicycle lanes uh, in Hong Kong. Yeah. How, how much of a problem is that going to be? That's a huge problem because effectively the government is basically almost saying that right now the uh, uh, public uh, in future, when the law probably is passed according to the framework right now, they could only use these devices in new territory. You can't use it in all of Kowloon or Hong Kong Island. And we all know that Hong Kong Island is not, I mean, there are a lot of parts of Hong Kong Island that's also very rural, right? Uh, but uh, somehow, because of the lack of bike lanes, it might mean that nobody can use it in Hong Kong Island. And that's ridiculous. A year after Hong Kong's unrest first erupted, it's safe to say there's little common ground to be found between the city's protesters and the police have been sent out day after day to deal with them. 
What both sides might be able to agree on, though, is that the relationship between the force and much of society has changed dramatically. Asia's finest are now reviled by many, and there's no love lost either the other way. But whose fault is it? Priscilla Ng has this report, and it's from the police's perspective. Senior Superintendent Wang Kaolun was dispersing anti-government protesters on Longcheng Road in Wang Taisen last August when he was hit by what he thinks was an iron marble. He lost a tooth and ended up getting a partial denture. There are moments when I feel sad. That's especially so when I wash my denture for the first time, because I've always seen the older generations do it, and I never thought it would happen to me so soon. He says frontline officers have faced a great deal of pressure over the past year, working long hours while constantly having to worry about their families and whether they are being harassed. He says he always tried to rein in any colleagues who become overly emotional and stop them from acting, as he puts it, unprofessionally. Calling protesters crockages is unprofessional. I always tell my colleagues that if you really think they've done something despicable, just call them rioters. Superintendent Wang disagrees, though, that officers have used excessive force when subduing protesters, seeing they exercise maximum restraint. He says tactics like kneeling on protesters are legitimate because officers have received proper training on how to do it, adding that some media have smeared the force by portraying only part of the picture without giving a full account of what really goes on. Sergeant Archeng was on duty in Kuntong last October when someone slashed the side of his neck with a sharp object, severing a vein and a nerve. He says he doesn't feel any anger or hatred towards his attacker, with a suspect arrested and charged. Having served in the police for 25 years, Archeng says he can feel a drastic change in the relationship between the force and people in society. I think they've misunderstood us. We are politically neutral. I'm just here to maintain order and enforce the law. Why would they see us as a political tool? Acheng says he's prepared to return to the front line after several months of treatment, saying he has no regrets and is committed to continue serving society. But some others in the force aren't so sure. Jackie recently resigned from the police, saying he doesn't agree with the way some of his former colleagues have dealt with anti-government protesters. They didn't follow the police guidelines and regulations. If you need to arrest the protesters, just do it. Why beat them? Some of my former colleagues would kneel on the necks of the protesters or ordinary citizens. That could kill them. Others refused to let the injured protesters see a doctor. He added that he doesn't want to shoulder any responsibility for their wrongdoings. People often curse the police and say things like, may the entire family of black cops die. That made me unhappy. I didn't do anything wrong. Why should my entire family die? Jackie says another reason why he didn't want to stay in the force is because it can't tolerate alternative political views, like opposition to certain government policies. He says he feels relaxed after submitting his resignation letter, saying the world is very big and there is a lot of exploring to do. 
Australia's Prime Minister Scott Morrison says a sophisticated state-based actor has been attempting to hack a wide range of organisations for months and recently stepped up efforts. Speaking at a media briefing in Canberra, he said the attack targeted all levels of government, political organisations, essential service providers and operators of other critical infrastructure. Anna-Marie Evans asked our Australia correspondent, Jerry Gannon, why the Prime Minister declined to identify a specific state actor. It's a delicate situation. You don't name your biggest trading partner and accuse it of, uh, of espionage, which is effectively, you know, what this kind of activity is. I guess um, he, he really doesn't want to name it, but he all but named it. But a number of uh, sources within the government has has named uh, China. They look at the sophistication, as you heard in that grab there from Scott Morrison, that the, the trade craft, as it were, is very much like China. There's only three countries capable of doing this, North Korea, uh, China, and um, I can't remember the other one, but you will. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, had it in my, I had it at the tip of my tongue a minute ago. Uh, however, it's interesting to note that uh, in uh, analyzing what has happened, there was no intent uh, to carry out disruptive or destructive activities within the victim environments. That was a quote. Now, that's almost like if it is China, and, you know, I'm not going to point the finger at China, but whoever the actor is behind this, it's almost as if they're saying, look, uh, we can do this. Now play nice with us. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of like that. Um, this is not the first time. This is not a recent occurrence. This has been going on for some months, apparently, and it has alarmed the, uh, the security agencies. Uh, they, the security agents have been working behind the scenes trying to, you know, sort it out and protect, uh, protect our critical infrastructure. But today I think the Prime Minister felt the need to go public to warn everybody, in fact, that they needed to up their security. Uh, IT experts are encouraging people to uh, update software and passwords uh, as a means of uh, pr protection. So the main reason behind this is, uh, it is believed, it is because Australia supported the call for an inquiry into the origins of COVID-19, which angered uh, China. And that's uh, believed to coincide with an escalation of this kind of activity. Uh, so we'll, we'll have to wait and see what else happens. Yeah, going back to your earlier point there, there's four states with that capacity, um, and they are Russia, Iran, North Korea, and China. Um, now, if uh, going back to um, Australia's relationship with China, yes, it was interesting that uh, the Prime Minister has made a stand on that inquiry, and it's resulted in real tensions ratcheting up between the two countries. But uh, Morrison isn't stepping back on this one, is he? Not stepping back, but he's he's stopping just short of naming uh, China and pointing the finger at China. And you know, it, it is our largest trade partner. And uh, I think you know part of the issue too is the Huawei, uh, however you pronounce Huawei. Huawei network, is not uh, is not permitted to operate uh, in Australia. Or uh, you know, um, I think only one agency. 
uh, is actually taking on Huawei uh, uh, technology. Uh, that has also uh, irked China. The reason that uh, uh, the reason that it's not being accepted is the, the perception that it might be a, a Trojan horse. You know that the, the technology could be spying on uh, on on, uh, on Australia. So there are, there are a couple of issues which uh, have uh, angered China and. You know, I think stuff is coming to a head, but we're we're stopping short of pointing the finger at China. But many IT experts say that the nature of this, uh, uh, the nature of this uh, uh, effort, uh, points to uh, China being the only one that could actually. Uh, carry out an attack, a cyber attack like this. Now, this you know, this has been going on for a couple of months. Australian governments have sort of hinted at this um, in the past, but this is more widespread. It's taken in uh, a couple of state agencies. Western Australia has uh, has copped a bit of it, and New South Wales has copped a bit of it. So it's a bit more widespread. But it is, you know, it's, it is being seen, given that no damage has been done, no action has been taken to compromise the integrity of these websites. It's just their presence has been detected. It's almost like, as I said earlier, China or whoever the, this actor is pointing the finger and saying, we can do this, so play nice. Those stories were part of the Newswrap program, which was broadcast on RTHK earlier this evening. Sean Kennedy from our newsroom. To prevent the spread of COVID-19, try flexible working hours and staggered meal breaks. Wear a mask on public transport. Avoid crowded lifts. Try not to hold large meetings and reduce face-to-face -face contact with colleagues. Avoid meal gatherings. Stay away from crowds after work. Wash hands frequently and keep the workplace clean. If you feel unwell, stay away from work and see your doctor. Visit coronavirus.gov.hk for details. Live across Hong Kong, this is Radio 3. January to December, we'll have moments to remember. 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 This is Nostalgia. Ray Cudero with you from now until 1 a.m.
That was Nadia's theme, played by Johnny Pearson, his piano, and his orchestra. Nadia's theme. Let's welcome Jim, a regular performer. Jim Reeves. I love you because you understand it. Every single thing I try to do You're always there to lend a helping hand I love you most of all Most of 